You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to The Projection Booth. I am your host, Mike White. On a very special episode of The Projection Booth, we've been talking about this one for a little while. I did an interview with Vincent Bugliosi a few months back, and finally I'm cutting this together. Vincent Bugliosi, if you're not familiar with him, he is the author of Helter Skelter and The Sea Will Tell, The Betrayal of America, How the Supreme Court Undermined the Constitution and Chose Our President, Outrage, The Five Reasons Why O.J. Simpson Got Away with Murder, and mostly pertinent to this episode, The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder. He was the, I don't know, star, the subject of the film, The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder, which has been recently released on DVD. I highly recommend that you check it out. So let's go ahead and play that interview right now. How did you get into the law? I'd like to say something inspirational, but the truth is that it was a process of um, elimination. I didn't think there was anything else I could do. I mean, medicine never appealed to me. Uh, Mathematics didn't. Selling, marketing didn't. Uh, I've always had kind of a fascination with words, so uh, I decided to go to law school. And in the law, there are many, many specialties. I mean, there's corporate law, probate law, criminal law, personal injury law. The only area that interested me uh, was criminal law. Uh, I guess it's because it's because more is at stake in the criminal law. We're talking about life or death a lot of times. And uh, if you're going to practice criminal law, there's only two places, either you prosecute or you defend. And that was an easy decision for me. I went down the DA's office. I just didn't want to defend people who were guilty of murder. I'm not critical of lawyers who do take those cases. That, that's fine. The right to counsel in America is very sacred and more important than any personal predilection of mine. But if I have a choice, I'd rather um, prosecute a guilty person than defend a guilty person. You see, one problem with defending a guilty person, not only are you trying to frustrate justice, but if you succeed and this person goes out, let's say, and kills again, you may rationalize, but you're somehow involved in that second murder because if you hadn't deceived the jury the first time around, there wouldn't have been a second murder. So, again, nothing inspirational, process of elimination, I ended up being a prosecutor. How did the prosecution of George W. Bush for murder, the book, come about? You don't go to war with someone. Uh, you don't have to even know anything about the law. Uh, unless that country is an imminent threat to the security of this country. Everyone assumed that um, the only issue was whether Bush had weapons of mass destruction. Bush totally avoided the issue of imminent threat. It was assumed that if he had weapons of mass destruction, he was an imminent threat. That's a non sequitur. It doesn't make any sense. I testified before Congress, and I pointed out, I said, listen, Pakistan has weapons of mass destruction. China's got weapons of mass destruction. Germany has weapons of mass Are we going to war with them? No. Why? Because they're not an imminent threat. Now, I determined very quickly that, uh, who's, obviously in the book I go into great, great depth on it, but very quickly that Hussein was not an imminent threat. Uh, number one, he was totally, uh, the country is totally disabled by the Persian Gulf War. And there were statements from American leaders that there was nothing left to Iraq. And all of a sudden, Bush is building them up as a threat to us. Uh, the main single thing, and this is going to sound maybe not silly to you, but it's going to be just too simplistic. I asked myself, does Hussein want to live? 
And the question came back with, with the answer that he wanted to live. He was a survivor. Uh, he had two people testing his food, every morsel of food. He slept in a different bed every night. He had 20 doubles. And he led, led a great, great life in Iraq, of course. Uh, when you want to live, and this is simple, you can't get around this logic, you don't go to war with the United States of America or help anyone else do so. You just don't uh, uh, do that. And it was obvious that Hussein wanted to live. So then I got deeper and deeper into it, and I found out, and I have evidence, I, I would never make a charge without evidence, that Bush took the nation to war on a lie, uh, under false pretenses, and therefore, Mike, uh, under the law, is guilty of murder for the deaths of 4,500 young American soldiers who died in the Iraqi war. The number of innocent Iraqi men, women, children, and babies has fluctuated between 100,000 and over a million, but the current view has kind of settled on 500,000 innocent Iraqi men, women, uh, and children. Now, uh, before I get into the evidence of Bush's guilt, uh, like I was telling you earlier, if you don't have evidence, you don't have a case, let me explain that if Bush were prosecuted for murder, which he could be, the real overriding issue over all the other issues would be whether or not he went to war, as he always claimed, in self-defense. Uh, his so-called preemptive strike. Hussein was an imminent threat to security of the country because of his alleged weapons of mass destruction, so Bush struck first in self-defense. If the war was not in self-defense, but one that Bush took us to under false pretenses, then all of the killings in Iraq of American soldiers would be unlawful killings uh, and therefore murder. I'm kind of simplify this uh, as much as possible. If you want, I'll get into some of the lies with you. Before we get into the lies, it's one thing to be mad about hearing the constant threat of Iraq and WMDs and the whole campaign to war, but it's a whole other thing to sit down and write this book. What was the deciding factor for you? Well, I can't give you that precise moment, but you know, uh, O.J. Simpson got away with two murders, and I went ballistic, and, and I wrote a book on it. It was number one in the country. Now, if someone can get away with two murders, how do you think I feel about George Bush getting away with hundreds of thousands of murders? Uh, someone had to speak up. No one was speaking up. And by the way, by the way, when I came out with my book, uh, I couldn't get my regular publisher to publish it. I couldn't get anyone. I had to fly back to New York and knock on doors. And I heard things like this. Are you sure you want to publish this book, Mr. Bugliosi? And uh, too hot to handle and things like that. I finally found a publisher with the courage uh, to publish it. The mainstream media blacked me out. My publicist in New York said she had never seen anything like this in 30 years. The New York Times was even moved to write a big article, not about the book per se, but on the blackout. And if you read the article, uh, the, auth the author, of the reporter, is kind of puzzled. How did this book get on the New York Times bestseller list when it's being blacked out by everyone? Well, I have a, a certain readership, and I was on um, Alternative uh, Radio, which I'm very sure you know what it was. But the whole thing was animated by anger that uh, you can't do what Bush did uh, and get by with it. There's uh, half a million people in their cold graves right now decomposing because of what this guy did. 
and uh, no one did anything about it, so I, I decided to try to do something about it. You know, even if, even if we assume, for the sake of argument, that my premise is wrong, and he went to war not on a lie, but he made a blunder. He thought there were weapons of mass destruction over there. Still, you wonder what type of a person he is. If, if I had a, a, an automobile accident, Mike, and, and I happened to kill someone, just one person, I'd never have a happy day for the rest of my life. And yet Bush, according to all reports, I mean, I, I believe the papers, they quote friends of his saying he's never been happier. Continues to eat his blueberry pie and, um, and hot dogs, and people are getting beheaded, and ISIS goes back. ISIS goes back to the Iraqi war. ISIS is a, um, was a segment, a breakaway branch of al-Qaeda in Iraq, which started during the Iraq war. And I, I hate to talk about humor in a situation like this, but there is a certain humor that apparently ISIS is so bad, and I think you probably read about this, Mike, that al-Qaeda booted them out. They were too uh, violent, too reckless. Al-Qaeda booted ISIS out. But ISIS started with the Iraq war, started with George Bush. And no one wants to do anything to him. Recent polls show that he's more popular than uh, Obama. And I get angry. I just get angry. I'm animated by my anger. Most of my books, I feel angry about something. I'm probably not a natural writer. But I'm ex I have a, a tremendous animus towards, uh, towards George Bush. I mean, how dare this guy do what he did and still, still enjoy life? Uh, according to what I read, I mean, uh, the old humorist, I can't even think of his name back in the 20s, is all I know is what I read in the newspapers, and, and they start quoting friends of his. And this has been going on for years that, that he's enjoyed life. Let's talk about the evidence. What kind of case have you built against George W. Bush? This is some of the evidence, Mike. He told two lies. Uh, one lie is that Hussein was an imminent threat to the security of this country. The second lie is he implied very strongly to the point that America accepted it that Hussein was involved in 9-11. Now, with respect to the first lie, on October the 1st, 2002, the CIA sent to the White House its classified top-secret national intelligence estimate. Uh, it was a report basically authored by the CIA, but supported by the consensus of all 16 federal intelligence agencies, in including the CIA. Page 8 of the report clearly says that Iraq was not an imminent threat to the security of this country, that it would only use its weapons of mass destruction, which we found out they never had, but they would only use these weapons if they felt that they were in imminent danger of an attack on them by us. And yet, unbelievably, uh, and there's no other word to describe it, Mike, just six days later in Cincinnati, October 7th, 2002, Bush's first televised speech to the nation on the alleged Iraqi threat, he told millions of unsuspecting Americans the exact opposite of what his own CIA was telling him. Bush said that Hussein was, quote, a great danger to our nation, either by his attacking us with these weapons or giving his uh, weapons to some terrorist group to do so. He said this could happen, my quote, on any given day, unquote. In other words, the threat was imminent. This alone, and I'm going to elaborate on this point because it's so important, but this alone and all by itself 
is virtually, certainly very strong evidence that George Bush deliberately lied to the American people and taken them to a war in Iraq under false pretenses. Now, as if this was not enough, this classified NIA report, as I said, was on October the 1st, 2002. On October the 4th, three days later, the Bush administration issued a declassified version of this report, one they could issue to Congress and the American people just one week before Congress was going to vote on the resolution of whether to authorize Bush to go to war. And in this declassified wor- uh, version, it, it came to be called uh, uh, the White Paper. The CIA's conclusion, in fact, all 16 federal intelligence agencies, the conclusion of all 16, that he was not an imminent threat, was completely deleted from the White Paper. This is the paper that went to Congress and the American people. Every one of these all-important words were omitted, so Congress and the American people never saw any of this. It doesn't get any, any, any worse than that. So we know, not think, but know that Bush and his people like Dick Cheney and Karl Rove and uh, Connelly Rice took this nation to war on a lie, a lie in which over 500,000 precious human beings died horrible, violent deaths, yet unbelievably, up to now, They've gotten away with all of this. If we want something out of Bush's own mouth that he took the nation to war and a lie, I'll give you something circumstantially puts the words in his mouth. He doesn't say those exact words, but if you can put two and two together, it amounts to that. On January 31st, 2003, less than two months before Bush ordered the invasion of Iraq on the rationale that Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, was an imminent threat, etc., Bush and British Prime Minister Tony Blair met in the Oval Office with six of their top aides, including Blair's chief foreign policy advisor, David Manning. After the meeting, Manning prepared a five-page memo stamped extremely sensitive, summarizing what was said at the meeting. And he quotes Bush as being so worried about the failure of the UN inspectors to find weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, that Bush talked about three possible ways, Manning wrote, to quote, these are Bush's words, provoke a confrontation, unquote, with Hussein. One of which Bush said was to, quote, fly CIA U-2 reconnaissance aircraft over Iraq painted in United Nations colors. And if Hussein fired on them, Bush said, uh, he would be in violation of UN resolutions, and that would justify uh, our going to war. So Bush is telling the American people that Hussein is an imminent threat to security this country. Uh, so we had a strike first in self-defense. But behind closed doors, this little man, George Bush, was talking about how to provoke Hussein into a war. Now, Mike, I don't have to tell you that the last person in the world whom someone acting in self-defense would try to provoke is the person he is in deathly fear of, the person who's about to kill him. Uh, if Bush honestly believed that Hussein was an imminent threat scared to this country, which was the main reason he gave the American public who were in a war, the thought of trying to provoke Hussein into a war obviously would never, ever, ever have entered his mind. I got much, much more evidence But these two are very powerful pieces. Now, in the documentary, I give several more pieces. In the book, I give 
even more. I can't tell you how serious this is. You know, when Bush invaded Iraq, the people in Europe were more opposed to it than we were. There's a million people, according to the newspaper, on the streets of Rome, 500 in London, protesting. And I read in many places that after the invasion, we lost popularity around the whole world. We had a lower approval rate around the world than we had ever had for many, many years. To convince Europe and these other nations that this was Bush's war, not the real Americans' war, and to deter any future president from doing the same thing, he's got to be prosecuted. It doesn't look like he's going to. I was getting closer to it when I had this thing happen to me. Some of the conspiracy theorists think that it, was, it happened to me because of the Bush people, but obviously uh, it did not. But I almost died uh, two years ago. I had a septic shock, and I'm still recovering um, from it. I actually uh, flatlined, uh, and they brought me back uh, uh, by CBR. But I, I had found a prosecutor who definitely was interested. He was going to appoint me special prosecutor. He didn't say he was going to do it. He, he wanted to come to L.A. and spend, spend six days with me. He's, there's no question he was interested in it. And, of course, I had an attorney general candidate in Vermont. I went up there to campaign for her. She lost. She went against an entrenched uh, incumbent. But she called a press conference with me and said that if she won, she was going to appoint me special prosecutor to seek an indictment against Bush, Cheney, and Rice uh, for first-degree murder. So this is not some fanciful reverie uh, on my part. At my age, I don't have time for that. I was very serious about this, and I'm uh, very uh, disappointed in the American public that they've put this thing behind them uh, so quickly. And uh, it seems like nobody cares, but there are people in their graves right now decomposing. I care. And you probably do, but uh, most people just, they've gone on to other things. You know, here in L.A., they're worried about the Lakers are going to have a good team next year. You know, they just, I don't know what to say, Mike. You write the book, and a few years later, the documentary comes out. How did the documentary come about? The documentary came into being by my um, uh, New York agent. He said, are you opposed to having a documentary about this? And I, I said, no. Uh, but there's an interesting story about the documentary, too. He couldn't raise any money in America to do, to do the documentary. The money had to come in from Canada. And um, in the past, Mike, uh, my agent calls me and tells me whom we're going with on the audio. I mean, it, it's not even anything that I concern myself with. I only concern myself with the publisher. The audio is an automatic. And he calls me and says, I can't find anyone in America that'll do the audio on the book, uh, he eventually got the BBC to do it. But uh, I think that's why the New York Times did this article, that this is not America. You know, we're supposed to have freedom of speech in America. And uh, this this book was blacked out. I mean, when you stop to think that President Clinton had consensual uh, sex with an adult, and that monstrous, uh, grotesque Ken Starr went after him day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and finally got an impeachment of him, and they still weren't satisfied. If they had a chance, I'm talking about the right wing, they would have hung him in the town square at noontime. And here Bush takes the nation to war on a lie, and not only is there no impeachment of him, not only isn't there any investigation of him, no one even wants to talk about it. Now, I did get on alternative, but, I mean, 
that shows the difference between the Republicans and the Democrats. The Democrats are terrified of the right wing. The right wing has no fear, understandably so, uh, of the Democrats. And there were a lot of phonies who uh, were denouncing Bush. But then when I came along and said, wait a while, these are just words. That doesn't mean anything. Let's do something about it. They wouldn't have me on the show. It's phonies, that's all. They were afraid that if they did, they'd be savaged by the right wing. So this has kind of been a lonely odyssey. It's still alive, uh, although it's been weakened by my illness. But uh, I, I don't like to see anyone get away with murder. And that's why I was so upset about the Simpson case. He walked out of door, the door with a smile on his face. There's no question he was guilty. His blood was found at the murder scene. That's the end of the ball game. There's nothing more to say. I wrote a very quick book and it shot up to number one. We're talking about murder, you know. We're not talking about burglary or receiving stolen property. Uh, you know, we're pretty serious about murder in this country, I thought. I mean, uh, sometimes they sentence someone to death for only one murder. What it all comes down to uh, is, am I, am I, am I correct? If I'm correct, there's no question you should be prosecuted. You know, an interesting thing, Mike, I'd go on these uh, talk shows on um, alternative radio, and I'd get quite a few calls, and I'll give you, I'll give you the essence of the calls. Mrs. Williosi, I've read several of your books. I respect you, but I said, worse than the effect, have, have you lost your marbles? I mean, are, are, are you serious about this? I mean, this is this, it's crazy to get the president. My first question is, have you read the book? And without exception, everyone said no. Now, you might find people that say it's crazy to prosecute the president. Find someone who read the book who thinks it's crazy. They may not agree with me, but they don't think it's crazy. It's a very serious book. I mean, I've written serious true crime books. I'm the only true crime author in America that's had three number one books that got up to number one. No true crime author other, other than I has written more than one. So I'm a serious writer. And at the end of my career, I don't want to throw away my legacy by a bogus, ridiculous prosecution. There's nothing ridiculous about this. It's real. A lot of the film seems to stem from a lecture that you were giving. What were the circumstances around that? The people that did the documentary are the ones that set that up. They said, uh, why don't you give your first speech on this out at your alma mater, UCLA Law School? So they, they're the ones that set it up, and I... I went out there and I talked about it. That's kind of the spine of the uh, documentary, but there's a lot more in the documentary. We, we even got Obama in the thing, uh, Obama being quoted uh, as saying, George Stephanopoulos asked him, you know, if you find some criminality on Bush's part, this is before he was sworn in, you don't do anything about it. And Obama says, no, I don't want to look backwards. And then I'm quoted as saying what Obama calls looking backwards I call justice. Every criminal prosecution, without exception, is for past criminal uh, behavior. I mean, you can't prosecute someone for what they might do in the future. So Obama doesn't want to do anything about it. And many people say, well, Ms. Bagliosi, even if you get an indictment, Obama will throw it out. Wrong. That would be true if it were a federal indictment. If it's in a state court by the state attorney general or a DA under the U.S. Constitution, the president does not have the power to throw that out. So it depends about the genesis of this. If it was done by one of the 2,250 DAs around the country or 50 attorney generals, he would not have the ability to throw it out. I want to make that point because uh, 
many people have said, you know, aren't you, this is an exercise in, in futility. If you get the indictment, the president will throw it out. Well, it depends on whether it's a state indictment or a federal indictment. I know that proving motive is not your job as an attorney, but as one human being to another, what do you think was the motive for this sham? Well, you've asked a very good question. Not only isn't it the job of the prosecutor to prove motive, motive is not an element of the corpus delicti, uh, meaning the elements of a crime, of, of, of any crime. The prosecution never has the burden to prove motive. However, juries want to know why, and, uh, and I understand that. Um, but I put people on death row without knowing 100% sure precisely why they did it. I had an idea, but I didn't know precisely. All I knew is that they killed the victim, number one, and number two, they had no legal justification for doing so. Uh, what's Bush's motive? Well, if we're to believe him, he said, I've already, I've already talked about it, that Hussein was an imminent threat, and we had a strike first. If it's something other than that, that's just further evidence that he lied to the country when he said it was the imminent threat motive. In the documentary, and you know, I've gone on to other things. I, after taking on Bush, I took on God. Uh, I'm an agnostic. I'm an agnostic, and I like to tell people that I've got someone kind of bright on my side. At least most people think he's kind of bright. His name is Einstein. Einstein was an agnostic. A anyway, I forget all the things I said in the book and in the documentary, but um, many things have been posited as possible motives. One, he wanted to complete the job that is father did not do during the Persian Gulf War. You know, his father did not go into Iraq. He ended uh, at the gates of Baghdad, and uh, he was just satisfied with booting um, Hussein out of um, Kuwait. Another one, people have actually said, because Bush hasn't said it clearly, but I mean, he's, he's flirted with it, that uh, he's flirted with his wanting to get even with Hussein for putting out a contract on his father. Well, that's been investigated by the CIA, and the CIA found out that uh, Hussein did not put out a contract on his father. That was a Kuwaiti fabrication to get America uh, against uh, Hussein. But even assuming, arguendo, as lawyers say, uh, for the sake of argument, that Hussein did make a threat or put out a contract on his father, that means that Bush can take a nation to war and have young American soldiers die to get even? I mean, it's preposterous. I'll give you one argument that has surfaced now, and some supposedly bright people have bought it, hook, line, and sinker. They said that Bush wanted to establish a democracy in Iraq, so it spread, you know, like April flowers throughout the Mideast. Wrong. That was never mentioned until after we discovered there were no weapons of mass destruction. And then this little man came up with this argument about trying to start democracy in, in um, Iraq. And some supposedly bright people have accepted it. And as soon as they had an, an election in Iraq, these supposedly bright people said, you see, Bush may have been right after all. No, it was weapons of mass destruction. He's going to strike first if we don't strike him now. So I, I, you've asked a good question, Mike. I don't know what his motive was. Whatever it was, it was no good. It was no good, whatever it was. Let him take the stand at a murder trial. Let him take the stand and tell the jury why he did it. And if he says anything other than what's of mass destruction, he's confessing from the witness stand that he lied to the American people and taken them to war. You ask good questions, Mike. <laughs>
I don't want to get us off topic too much, but how legitimate do you feel that the first Gulf War was? I mean, I remember the whole thing about Naria El Saba talking about Iraqi soldiers pulling babies out of incubators, and that was a complete fabrication. Yeah, yeah, I didn't get too interested in it. Uh, when I say interested, I, I, I read the, the paper every day. Uh, and I knew uh, the American ambassador to Iraq, Congress had a, a typed-up, stenographic interview between her, it was a female, and Hussein, from which the inference could not have been clearer that she was telling Hussein that if you go into Kuwait, we're not going to do anything about it. I can't think of her name right now, but this was in uh, 1991. Gillespie, I think. But there's no question, this is not an allegation, there's no question that she is talking to Hussein and it's typed up and she is implying, you know, it's none of our business what you do. I don't get involved in, in many things, but when I do, I, I try to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and the Persian Gulf War was not something that I was, uh, I was interested in as, as an American citizen, but it didn't catch my attention like the Iraq War. It's unbelievable what we did. One thing that no one is talking about, and I want to talk about it right now, Hussein was a brutal dictator. I'm not going to say he wasn't. But what type of a brutal dictator was he? Well, he wasn't the Idi Amin type or Hitler type or Stalin type. The reality is that if you minded your own business in Iraq, Iraq, prior to this monstrous Joe Bush, was a peaceful nation. Yes, peaceful. That's the evidence that I can get from doing a lot of reading on this. If you were a Christian, you went to a Christian church. You know what they're doing now with the Christians? They're burning the churches down and threatening them. Either you become a Muslim or I'm going to behead you. If you were gay, you went to a gay bar. If you were a woman and you wanted to become a doctor or a lawyer, you went to the, one of the finest universities in the Mideast, University of Baghdad, and you became a doctor or a lawyer, and you wore a skirt, not a burqa, and you took a cell phone to work. I remember the night before the uh, invasion, the media was interviewing Baghdad citizens late, late at night, either midnight or right after, and they were on the street eating, eating ice cream cones. Now, I'm not saying it was a great country to live in. If you did anything against Hussein, you were dead. You were dead. He was a brutal dictator. But if you minded your own business, no one was getting killed. People were free to walk the streets at night. That is a reality that no one is talking about. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad you gave me the time to talk about it. It is coming out in some interviews and everything, you know, that Bush started the war and that led to this. But Iraq was a tranquil, progressive nation. Some people compared Baghdad with the early uh, emergence of, of Dallas. Were, were you aware, Mike, that it essentially, by everything I can read, if you minded your own business, that it was uh, essentially a peaceful nation? People come up, oh, Mr. Williams, what are you talking about? Look what he did to the Shiites after the Persian Gulf War. And I said, well, no, wait a while. I'm not necessarily taking a side here, but you're aware that the Shiites after the Persian Gulf War were led to believe by George Bush Sr. that he would support them if they rose up against Hussein, and they did. And he did quell the uprising, and he was absolutely brutal. But how did it start? The Shiites rose up against him. They wanted to uh, have a coup on him. So I'm always looking for some instance in Iraq, and maybe there are. Maybe there are some instances 
where, for whatever it is, willy-nilly, he decides to start killing people, but I, ha I haven't been able to find it. What the guy did uh, is monstrous, and uh, I hope he knows that even though I'm nothing but a former prosecutor operating from my home, I don't have an office anymore. I, I work out of my home writing books. I, I hope I'm putting a little chill on him that there's someone out there. Hopefully some DA around the country will watch this CD by all accounts, people that have seen it, at least ones that have talked to me, they feel it's extremely powerful. And uh, maybe one of the uh, DAs will uh, say, hey, you know, I'm going to take this guy on. He's no longer the president, but I, 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 it's going to take a DA with some guts. Mark Twain had a great line. He said, um, why is physical courage so common, and as you know, Mike, it is. I mean, people jump into to oceans to save people. He says, why is physical courage so common, but moral courage so very rare? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it, uh, because there's, there's a lot of courageous people, but when it comes to standing up and telling the truth, people shirk. I should start naming these phony liberal TV hosts. I have to decide whether to do that. These phonies who badmouth Bush, and as soon as I came along, and I'm not some klutz, I'm not some guy out in the street, I mean, I have a, a certain background of legitimacy, they wouldn't have me on at all. Wouldn't have me on at all. My New York publicist thought he knew the answer, at least as to one of them, and he said, Vince, let's say the guy's name is Dave. That's not his name. To Vince, Dave wants to be the guy. He wants to be the guy that bought badmouths Bush and then gets all the emails saying what a stand-up, courageous guy he is and keep up the good work. And then you come along saying, wait a minute, these are just words. They don't mean anything at all. They're worthless. Let's do something about it. Uh, maybe they're going to look at me. I don't know. But he said, this Dave, he wants to be the guy, not you. Uh, it's either that or Dave, quote Dave, was terrified that if he had me on the show, he'd catch hell from the right wing. Having someone on the show just talking about Bush is a bad guy, that doesn't mean anything. I don't talk that way. I talk about actual evidence. Let's do something about it. When I testified before Congress, I asked them to refer the case to the Department of Justice. I said, as of the moment, under the Constitution, he cannot be prosecuted, but an investigation for murder can be commenced at this moment, and when he leaves office, we can hit the ground running. I was talking about real things. And I, I, I uh, of those two things, I, I would think that the latter is the main reason they didn't have me on. They were just frightened. They're phonies. And I, I'm not mentioning their, their, their names now. You're probably wondering who they are. But uh, they refused to have me on. It's funny. A lot of people would say, Vince, I know this guy personally. I know I'll get you on. I said, don't bother. He's not going to put me on. And um, they never did. Let's see what time it is because I may have to get going. Um I enjoyed talking to you tonight, and um, I enjoyed um, your questions, and I want people to be troubled by this, because this is not the America that uh, I thought it once was that could take us to war and a lie, and no one does anything about it. You've been portrayed in movies several times, and I was wondering, who played you best? Yeah, I've been betrayed in uh, movies, let's see, uh, one, two, three... Or maybe five, I don't know. I was portrayed in the TV series, too, uh, but then also in movies. 
Uh, you know, you specialize in tough questions, Mike. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know how I appear to other people. So it's hard for me to say, um, I can tell you that the one that impressed me the, the most, but again, I, I don't know how I look to other people was George uh, DiCenzo in the first Helter Skelter. That one had the highest uh, TV rating in the history of the TV medium, and then it was beaten by uh, Roots. But uh, that's a good question, George. I mean, uh, Mike, but I, I don't know how I look to other people. Maybe some people don't like me. Other people you know, think I'm arrogant and all that, and uh, other people uh, like the way I move around a courtroom. I don't know. I will tell you that the Helter Skelter movie, the one with Steve Rails back, scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, you know... I purposely did not sensationalize the book Helter Skelter. Uh, I didn't do that. Uh, I located all the way, uh, very dry language, but that may have turned out to be even more frightening. But for instance, just one example, I don't show the actual photos of the victims lying in death. And I got complaints from people saying, listen, the book cost, cost $10 back then. Ten dollars, or entitled to look at. It. Uh, what I, no, I did show the body and the outlines of it, but I didn't want to see the them. I didn't want the survivors picking up the book and seeing the brutality to their uh, loved ones. Uh, Gail, just hold the line. I'll be there. Um, I remember the photos were just horrendous. Clerical personnel, uh, fellow deputy DAs, they come at the office wanting to look at the photos. I mean, I don't criticize them, but I've never become immunized to brutality. I had to look at the photos because they were exhibits I introduced in evidence. But people wanted, wanted to look at this stuff. In any event, I did not sensationalize Helter Skelter, but as you know, it's become the biggest selling true crime book in publishing history, In Cold Blood's number two. And uh, people, like you said, were frightened. I was on a show before your time, and, and, and then I've got to run, my wife is here. Um, it was a Mike Douglas show back in Philadelphia. Do you know that name? Okay. Well, Mike was kind of the counterpart on the East Coast of uh, Merv Griffin. So the book came out, Helter Skelter, and it, it uh, got very favorable reviews. It was doing very well. And I flew to Philadelphia to do Mike's show. And he tells me on the air, you know, I'm reading Helter Skelter and I'm starting to have nightmares. And immediately, I mean, the book was doing okay. Immediately, the book spiked, went way up. I guess Mike people like to be frightened. I don't know. I don't know. But he said I'm having nightmares, and they ran out and <laughs> and then Mike went. Uh, Mike was pretty big. He was he sang like Merv and everything. And uh, when you did a book, you started out like I always did on the Good Morning America show, Today Show, and then you went to Philadelphia. The only reason you went there for the Mike Douglas show, and he helped sell the book. <laughs> Okay, Mike, listen, I, I enjoyed the interview. You take care of yourself. I was honored to be interviewed by you, and you asked some very good questions. Okay, sir, thank you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to this special episode of The Projection Booth. You can find out more information about the prosecution of George W. Bush for murder over at our website, projection-booth.com. Highly recommend it. Check it out. You won't be sorry. said we're headed to war in Iraq. You said we're headed to war. 
I say that. I hope we're not headed to war in Iraq. Not headed to war in Iraq. 